Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. I've known this guest for a very long time, but she's not been a guest, I don't believe, ever on this radio show. Although you may know who her dad was and who her dad's dog was. How about that for a mystery tease? Pilly Bianchi is here. Good morning, Pilly. Good morning, Steve. The name of the book that you just wrote is For the Love of Dog, the ultimate relationship guide. I want to talk about the book, and it all comes, I I suspect, at some point from the relationship your dad had with a dog named Chaser. Oh, it sure does. Absolutely. Um, I was there behind the scenes for Chaser's journey. I was his producer, his uh, writer, uh, his handler for man and dog when we did film and television. So everything that has been Chaser and my dad for the past, since 2011, when their research went globally viral, has gone through my hands. Well, for those who don't know, what was it about Chaser that required you to do any television for a dog and for the dog's talents to go globally? Can you explain? Yes, that's a good question because the media attention was very unexpected. What my father did was he had the goal of teaching uh, Chaser human language and in order to learn a new language, you have to have a vocabulary. So he decided her bad vocabulary would be her toys. So she learned the names over a thousand and twenty-two objects in concert with verbs, uh, prepositions, uh, adjectives, qualifying words, um, and was able to actually utilize them, the words independently in sentences. So. This was his scientific research that came out, and it went globally viral in 48 hours in over 72 countries. What was your dog's, uh, what was your dad's interest in this in the first place? We probably need to explain that. Why would, why would anyone want to do that and have a background, by the way, to do so scientifically? Oh, that's a good question. So my dad uh, was a scientist. He was a college professor at Wofford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and he was an animal behaviorist. So he would work with rats and pigeons in his earlier career, but it was our family dogs that gave him uh, the, the idea to use dogs in the classroom. This was in the 80s and the 90s. He thought it would be infinitely more fun for the students to work with dogs than rats and pigeons, and, and, and he was correct. So um, in his retirement, well, let me back up a, a minute. So during his career at Wofford, he had tried to teach the dogs names of objects, like a rope, a newspaper, but he was not able to t- teach them words independently. So he was successful in this regard, but it was in his retirement that he discovered that his methods were flawed. He had been hanging out with Border Collie trainers and watching the amazing things that their dogs could do and the nuance of the sounds that the farmer could make and the dogs would respond so beautifully. 
And so this gave him pause to reevaluate his methods. And what he really wanted to understand was the boundaries of the canine mind, because dogs are incredible. We had animals in our family ever since I was young, and um, they fascinated my dad. So this was what made him uh, try to get get it right in his retirement when he got Chaser. All right. So a uh, couple questions here. Uh, to be clear, the goal wasn't to teach Chaser the dog to actually speak. <laughs> like, like at one point in time, actually, researchers did with a chimpanzee back in the day named Washu. Yes. Yeah, they actually mm-hmm. expected this chimpanzee to not understand language, not to use sign language as later came along, but instead to actually talk. That was not that was not the goal, but the goal as I understand was for the dog to understand far more than we had ever thought dogs could understand. Am I right about that? That's correct. That's correct. And and what was valuable is that Chaser learned very quickly um, how to pair the name of an object with an object. And that was because my father utilized play. Everything was fun for Chaser. But what he discovered is that learning builds upon learning. So the more that Chaser learned, she had that aha moment that, ah, this is what he wants me to understand. This object has a name. So she was able to learn the names of objects very rapidly. She was almost like Helen Keller um, in that brilliant moment when she put her hand in the faucet and made that connection that, wow, this is the gateway to understanding. Well, you know, I, uh, I know you know that I worked with cats, my cat in particular, doing something kind of similar, sort of, in some ways. And what would happen with our cat, and you tell me if this happened with Chaser the dog, is that the cat would come to me, offer something different, and say, okay, give me a reward for this and call it something so I could do it again and get a reward for it again. So the training was essentially driven by the cat in some ways. Did this similarly happen? Uh, you know, that, it, that's, that's a really interesting question. And, um, uh, gosh, it didn't happen that way with Chaser. What did happen is that um, she, once she had the concept that words had names, she started learning things inherently by over by eavesdropping on conversations we discovered that she did not like a certain dog in the neighborhood when we were talking about this dog um named casey and chaser came over and started growling and i was like (laughs) whoa what is that and it turned out that my mother said oh yeah she doesn't like casey she goes on these walks every now and then and casey's all up in her grill and sniffing her bun and Chaser is a lover, not a fighter, so she just hated this little dog. So there is a, yeah, animals um, show preferences and desires um, to engage with us in ways that are, are, are all unique. And we just got to, like, like what you're doing is you got to pay attention. The name of the book is For the Love of Dog, the Ultimate Relationship Guide. I want to talk more about what Chaser was able to do, and I wonder if, for all of you, you feel, Pilly, that 
our listeners' dogs are not, their skills are not being utilized like we could. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It means they could do so much more. And we don't even understand the potential of what dogs can do. We will also bust some myths about all dogs. We'll do that when we come back on WGN. Pilly Bianchi is the author of For the Love of Dog, The Relationship Guide. What motivated you to do this book, which, by the way, has incredible, whimsical, fun artwork in it as well? Ooh, thanks, Steve. Um, that's that's a, it, it, it's a, it's a very simple question with not such a simple answer. Um, and I'll try to make it as brief as I can, but I had been working on my father's second book with him. He had a first book, Chaser, um, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words, that was a, a bestseller um, back in uh, 2014. And... So we were working on the second book together before he passed away in 2018. And um, I didn't quite know how to use the proposal in the book that we had been writing once he was gone and then also Chaser was gone. Um, so I... I I knew that we had valuable information that was not delivered in the first book. We had a tutorial so people could also do this with their own dog. And I knew that their journey was far from over. So um, I had transcribed most of his recordings, including his syllabus from the 80s and 90s when he was working with dogs at, at Walford. And I had so much rich material. But, again, I didn't know how to finish a book that began my father's voice. So... Then COVID happened, the world went into a tailspin, and I became obsessed with this little book called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse by Charlie McCasey. And on the surface, it's a children's book, but the demographic for this book ended up being so wide and buried, it hit that elusive sweet sweet spot that every writer um, and artist dreams about. The illustrations were gorgeous. The text was simple and elegant and timeless, and it completely blurred the lines between adolescent and adult. And I was wondering how could I emulate this format, you know, something that you could open to any page and get some nugget of information that would be fun and at the same time deliver valuable information that had some gravitas. And this this made me reach out to my friend Callum Heath, who, Callum Heath, who's an, a brilliant illustrator in the UK, and this became our, our project. Yeah, and I think you achieved that. In fact, no doubt you achieved that. How many words, or maybe better, I'm not sure how to ask this, how many toys mm. did Chaser know where you could say, and I've seen this on TV, friends, and if you haven't, just go to YouTube, you'll find it, type in the, the word Chaser, and toys or dog toys or some such thing, and you'll find segments that have been done. How many toys did he know the names of? Well, she knew the names of over a thousand toys, but that's just the that's the technical research end of it. She knew probably thousands and thousands of names of objects. Um, we stopped. He stopped counting. Um, because he he, uh, 
it was getting expensive to have toys all over the house. <laughs> and um, and he couldn't remember the names of the objects. But, yeah, she literally learned thousands of words. And it's interesting that I said he. You corrected me on the pronoun, Chaser, a she. And, in fact, I should know that because I had a dog named Chaser as well. And when we met in Austin, Texas... At a uh-huh. conference called South by Southwest, you and I were on the panel. I think there was one other, maybe two other people on the panel. And mm-hmm. uh, instantly we began to, you said something, I would follow up on top of that. Then then I would say something, and then you followed up. And we were kind of building a mountain going in the same direction, I think. Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like I would start something and... Um, Sometimes I get lost from the beginning of the sentence to the end because I'm so long-winded. And you would just pick right up and um, carry it. And then it was truly, um, uh, it was was fun and it was exciting. And um, we were kind of on fire, I thought. (laughs) Yeah, they wanted to put out the fire probably. So here's a question (laughs) that I have for everyone listening who has a dog, or for that matter, a cat. A parrot, a yeah. ferret, it doesn't yeah. matter. Mm-mm. Are we underutilizing their brains? I'm talking about all um, our all our companion animals. Yeah. That that I I think that we are underestimating and underutilizing um their brains and and just their abilities. We're not um truly focusing on what they need to thrive and um, have a really rich experience is, and it really has to do with um, our busy schedules, our lack of imagination and time, and then some outdated paradigms that have sort of been set in place for the past, for, for hundreds of years, really. Well, and I want to bust one of those myths right now, you know, I mean, you can still Go to a dog trainer who says, train your dog like a wolf, or a, there aren't many veterinarians that would say this, but again, dog trainers sometimes say this, feed your dog like a wolf, and in fact, our dogs, well, if you go back long enough in time, did evolve from wolves? It's been a long time, and in fact, the wolf that the dogs evolved from has long been extinct, and arguably, we're closer to chimpanzees then dogs in some ways are to wolves. And if you've seen me eat, you can understand that I'm very close <laughs> to a chimpanzee. So so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we, we kind of, dogs and wolves kind of split um, almost about 40,000 years ago is what we've got data to indicate this. And um, it, dogs, uh, started, and the way that we know this is in, um, with fossil evidence and skeletal evidence, the dog's anatomy literally started to change. The mouth got rounder, um, their facial expressions have more, dogs as opposed to wolves have a wider uh, range of facial expressions. So, and this is because of the emotional connection that we have with humans and our engagement with each other. So, dogs made life easier for humans um, and vice versa. So, it was a reciprocal relationship. It's not simply based on dogs need us. 
that's kind of uh, a myth. I mean, I think dogs like us and we get along pretty well, but 70% of the dogs worldwide are free-ranging. Yeah, in fact, we had so, a conversation with Mark Beckoff, who I know you know, some time oh, yeah. ago, who wrote an entire book. What would happen if humans disappeared? Would dogs still survive? And some would, and some wouldn't, he says. You could check out his book for that. But the book we're talking about now, For the Love of Dog, Pilly Bianchi is here. She is the author of that book. More to come when we come back here on WGN. Next week on the show, we talk about ticks and tick diseases and why right now, right now, right now, even in the big city, is is the most common time that Lyme disease is transmitted to dogs. That is actually true. And how you can prevent that, but also other buggers and other diseases spread by ticks. Lyme disease does not stand on its own. And there's good news for the mouth of your dog and cat. There is a new sort of instant way in which veterinarians can discern what's going on in there, uh, aside from x-rays, which are wonderful. But now there's a new technique. It's kind of really cool technology, and we'll hear about that next week for the first time as well, right here on Steve Dale's Pet World. The name of the book, For the Love of Dog, the Ultimate Relationship Guide. Pilly Bianchi is here. Pilly... This is a book that covers so much. It's really wide-ranging. The illustrations, by the way, are so much fun. As you mentioned earlier, you can turn to any page, just pick it up in the middle of the book, wherever it might be. So I'm going to pick it up right now in the middle of the book. Dogs can do so much, it turns out. Uh, They can. We had... uh, Vicky Santo, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but Ron Santo, who passed uh-huh. away from diabetes in the Hall of Fame, his widow, Vicky Santo, began the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. And these dogs are trained mm-hmm. to alert for diabetes, particularly juvenile diabetes. And they really, literally, have saved lives. Now, who would mm-hmm. have thought that, I don't know, 30 years ago, that dogs can do this sort of thing? The ovarian cancer symptom awareness that's the name of a nonprofit that fund at uh, university of pennsylvania dr cynthia ott who originally began her work and is continuing her work as far as teaching dogs to detect ovarian cancer uh, and she feels and explained to us that once that is done and she says we're about there then mm. this can be recreated via chemicals, via um, experts in, in this area, in medical experts, as well as artificial intelligence. It can be recreated for other types of hard-to-detect cancers, all because of dogs. And use that same foundation, by the way, to teach dogs when COVID-19 came along to detect mm-hmm. COVID-19. She and a researcher also in the UK were the first to do that. Are we mm-hmm. just just touching the surface of what dogs can do? Oh, gosh, yeah. We're, we're just sort of, we are, we're scratching the surface, and we're starting to dig deeper. Um, but what what's also remarkable with dogs that are uh, service dogs, scent dogs, is that they all share a, a, a similar learning technique, which is play. 
this is fun for the dog. And once these dogs understand that, oh, okay, you're giving me a scent. You want me to find that scent. That can be transferred to other scents. And their noses, are, their sniffers are so powerful that they can even detect a dead body under 100 feet of water. Mm-hmm. So the noses, their noses are being harnessed to give us such valuable information and really move the needle and as far as research and cancer studies for human beings, data, as you know, is collected through veterinarians on diseases that dogs have, and they use that, um, that, that data. You can't use humans' data because it's a breach of, like, uh, the HIPAA violation. Um, but they do, we do use dogs' data. So, yeah, we are using information from dogs that are literally life-saving. Right now, friends, if you have a dog in the room while you're listening to the radio or maybe the podcast of the show at WGNRadio.com, if you have a dog in that room with you, look at your dog. Pilly, is that dog, no matter whose dog it is, communicating something and or asking a question? Oh, gosh, all the time. All the time. It's just we just have to pay attention. Chaser was constantly letting us know what she wanted. And your dog gives us the same kind of information. It's really, um, are we smart enough to pay attention to what they're saying to us? And sometimes, and they have, go ahead. And they, they have many ways to express themselves. It's verbal, visual. Um, uh, and they're giving us valuable information that we're just not picking up. On the other hand, in reverse, are they better at picking up what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're saying? Um, that's a, that is a good question. I mean, what we're feeling I think that they are much better at reading our body language than we are at reading their body language. So they can pick up on tone of voice. Chaser did not like loud yelling. She didn't mind noises like the lawnmower. But if we started hollering in the house, she'd leave the room. So they're very in tune to, to us. Yes, it's interesting that if you're arguing with, the, I don't know, the cable company on the phone, and who doesn't do that <laughs> at some point, right? And, you're on, yeah, you're on hold forever, and then someone comes to the phone and says, we care about you, but I really can't help you. And you get angry about that. Dogs will generally do one of two things, and I want you to explain. They'll come right to you and maybe mm. sit in your lap. Or, as you suggest, they'll walk away. They'll go to the other room the second the voice begins to raise. Yeah, that's right. They, we're discovering through science that dogs' um, emotions and cognitive understanding is very, very similar to humans. And we've had shared this evolutionary process. So what we're um, seeing here is not only an emotional connection, but a scientific connection. 
Well, I want to talk about enrichment a little bit. I argue, and I talk about this at veterinary meetings. I don't know that you even know this. I've been doing this for, mm. I don't know, 20 years. Yes, yeah. 20 years. I've been talking about enrichment. At one point in time, I'd have to explain what the word even means, and I'll tell you what mm. it means in a moment, uh, but not anymore. Veterinarians now do get that. But now I talk about a couple of different things. One is that for dogs, enrichment can vary the way in which you enrich the dog, which, by the way, means Mm -hmm. providing opportunities for that dog to do what the dog was born to do, essentially, Mm -hmm. simply put. Mm -hmm. Uh, And zoos do a great job of that, enriching environments for everything from, I don't know, sun bears to chimpanzees to even reptile species. And zoos, zoos have been doing this for a very long time to benefit their captive animals Mm. and not so much for us so i think Mm. we need to enrich the environment for dogs in general more than we do secondly also consider the age of the dog so as the dog ages it doesn't mean enrichment disappears also enrich for the breed so maybe a chihuahua's life would be enriched differently than, say, a Border Collie, which is what Chaser was, which might be different than, say, a German short-haired Pointer. Now, before you answer, (laughs) we're going to take a commercial break, of course. Of course, we've got to do that. We'll come back with Pilly Bianchi, the author of a book, by the way, that if you cannot tell, I love. For the Love of Dog, the Ultimate Relationship Guide, and this book is an ultimate book. We'll be right back. Back with you on WGN for the love of dog, the ultimate relationship guide. Pilly Bianchi is here on WGN. It is such a pleasure to talk to you, you know. Uh, we, we, we connect through social media, but we really don't have this opportunity to talk very often. And congratulations on the book. I know it was Amazon number one for a while, New York Times number one for a while, the thing is, the book is just coming out right now. That is that is incredible, uh, particularly for a book about our best friends. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. We, we haven't hit the New York Times bestseller list, but we are hoping. And, oh, um, I thought, I thought I, you did. So, because I said my it. Dad, it's my, go- dad, my dad's book did. Well, the, yeah. okay. Well, because I said it, you know it's going to happen. From your lips to God's ears. Okay, good enough for me. I was talking about enrichment. Are we doing enough to enrich the environments and lives of our dogs? I think we live in a nation filled with underemployed and unemployed dogs, and we need to do something about it and also consider breed. Can you talk about all that? Oh, well, uh, sure. Um, there's so much to unwrap there. I mean, breed gives us a really good idea of what the dog is like anatomically and maybe whether they're a speed demon or a slowpoke. But breed does not tell us who your dog is. Every dog is an, is an individual, and we really have to pay attention to what brings them happiness and um, excites them. Chaser loved, uh, she loved, um, uh, what did she love? She loved uh, to engage with people. 
She wanted to have fun. She she would love to play as long as she had a playmate. If she didn't have a playmate, she wasn't interested in toys. So we really capitalized on her social social nature. Some dogs are shy, you know, and you're going to have to pay attention to what makes them happy. Do they like to swim? Do they like to run? Do they like to chase a Frisbee? All of these kind of things are going to be unique to the individual dog. And something else to also be very careful of when you're working with your dog is don't compare your dog to somebody else's dog. You know, that's really a pitfall that we can fall into when we believe that a dog should behave a certain way. Those, those are myths. We have to get to know the individual dog, and it's our job, just like with our kids, to pay attention to what makes them happy. Well, and I, what I get even more is comparing the dog you have today to a dog you had, maybe the last dog you had, especially if it's the same breed. People do yep. tend to make that comparison, I think. Yeah, and, th- and that's, that's not wise. It never is. It's making assumptions, and we know what, where that gets us. Yeah, but it's human nature, so I understand that. So now, you, Pilly our queen of the world, because you wrote this book, which now will be on the New York Times bestseller list, for sure, for the love of dog. If you could communicate any one message from your book to dog parents, what would that be? That'd be play with your dog. Play with them. Why? You know, because playing is innate behavior that all dogs have. Um, they, uh, have the spirit of a toddler throughout their lifetime. And if we can play with them, we're giving them an opportunity to run, to chase, to emit natural behaviors. And it's going to increase your bond because it's something that they like to do and they're going to equate with you positively. Yeah, I was just going to ask. So you mentioned, and play is also exercise. We live in a nation filled with overweight and obese dogs. I mean, half our dogs, statistically, mm-hmm. literally, 50% are overweight or obese. So yep. play, play is helpful for so many reasons. You describe some of them. And we also know that the brain chemistry in dogs changes mm. when we play with them in a good way. So those happy endorphins, uh, That's right. yeah, they, they pop up and they explode. What do you think it does, and you touched on this, what do you think it does for us? Oh, um, I think it gives us an opportunity to uh, bond with another species in ways that we don't bond with our own. Dogs give us um, comfort. Uh, they cuddle with us at night. They, they are not unconditional lovers, but given the right opportunity, they sure are devoted. And um, if we don't pay attention and take a page from their playbook, I'm, I'm afraid we might be the lesser of the two species. You know, uh, well said. Uh, you write in the book about how dogs will risk their lives to save mm-hmm. our life. And, and now with social media, we can actually see videos of this sort of thing happening where the dog is out of the house that's on fire, runs back into the home because mm-hmm. there's a toddler in the house. This mm-hmm. is not actually terrifically unusual. Mm. 
Yeah, it's it's not. Um, and in in certain ways, when it comes to us, our dogs can be fearless. You know, for their and their devotion to uh, protect. And this was another reason that we evolved with with dogs. Dogs were protectors in an age when there are big critters coming into camps 20,000 years ago. Um, this was this is an inherent an inherent behavior that is ingrained in our dogs. But it's more complicated than that, and we're going to run out of time. So we won't even get to talk about it this time around. But sometimes the truth is we know that the dog that we think is protecting us, and I don't take anything away from what you just said, and we know that dogs will risk their own lives for ours. Having said that, you're walking down the street, the dog is barking at someone. The dog might be protecting him or herself in barking for some, you know, to that someone, rather than protecting the person at the other end of the leash. So it can be more complicated than we think. Oh yes, that's that, it. Can definitely that that is a whole nother story. That's a whole nother scenario. Which so we that will, can be fear based, anxiety based. Yep. Yeah. Which we could talk about next time we talk to you. <laughs> for the love, Thanks, for the love of dog, Pilly Bianchi is the author. I will spell that for you: P I L L B I A N C H I. It's an easy read. It's a fun read. As as you describe, Pilly, you can uh, just say, oh, I've got five minutes here. You could turn to page 52, a random page, and read that. It might only be a couple of paragraphs on that page. Uh, and that is another great thing about this book. Uh, but it's filled with information, sometimes busting myths that people have had about dogs, and also talking a whole lot about how dogs learn most effectively. Pilly, it is such a pleasure, and I know, I know we will be talking more. (laughs) Oh, yes, Steve. It's always so great to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. You won't believe it. So many of our cats are living day-to-day dehydrated, and that's an issue. It can cause all sorts of medical issues, everything from kidney stones to kidney disease to constipation, uh, lower feline uh, feline lower urinary tract disease, other problems as well, even potentially hyperthyroid disease, digestion issues, uh, even dental health problems related to just simply not getting enough water. So what do you do? Well, first of all, you see a veterinarian regularly to determine if your cat is dehydrated. If your veterinarian has not pointed out to you that your cat's hydration looks good or not so good, ask your veterinarian. That is really important. So what can you do? Provide choices, choices, choices. So the cats have choices of places to drink water. Keep that water hydrated. Keep it fresh. Change it at least once a day. Provide vertical space, not only for cats to climb because they enjoy doing it, so they feel comfortable and safe. And that water dish probably not a glass water dish, is up high somewhere as well, at least one of those water dishes. Understand they need a wide water dish, at least one of them, so the whiskers don't get wet and get kind of crunched into the into the water dish. Uh, they need to see where the top of the water is because all cats actually have trouble seeing close. What is that? Far-sighted. So some people say, here's what can help. 
have a water dish with a design on the bottom so they could see where the water is or like a little floating something, like a little rubber ducky in the water, so they could tell where the top of that water is. For cats that are dehydrated, ask your veterinarian about a product called Purina Pro Plan Hydrocare. This helps cats to absorb water and encourages drinking, which is really important. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, on WGN.